If you look at your sheets there, I got three points at the beginning. I think it's just important to remind us here as we uh, continue our study through the book of Revelation. The first one, what is the tribulation? Tribulation is God's way of cleaning house before his return. The real focus here of the book of Revelation is going to be right around Revelation 19, where it's the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. And as we get closer to this, we'll talk about the differences between the rapture and the second coming. So we will talk about those two different events. Actually, Dustin, if you don't mind, if you can put that slide up from last Wednesday, we can kind of make reference to those things as we're going through this. Thank you. Um, the second coming is where Jesus literally comes down and rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years. A lot of people get the rapture and the second coming confused. As you can see here, the rapture is the event that's coming up next. This is where the Lord takes the church out. Church is the body of Christ, believers, and we meet him in the air. Seven years later, it's a second coming where he literally comes down and literally rules and reigns for a thousand years on this earth. It's an absolutely amazing thing. And there's so much prophecy, so much spoken about the actual ruling and reigning of Jesus for a thousand years. See, when Jesus first came to this earth, he was only on the earth for 33 years. And he only had three years of public ministry. He's actually going to come and rule and reign for 1,000 years. It says in the book of Isaiah that we'll be able to go up to the temple and hear him teach Bible studies. I mean, to me, that's just mind-blowing to sit here and say, okay, Jesus, in the book of John, the woman caught in adultery, the Bible says you stooped down on the ground and you wrote with your finger in the sand. What did you write? Let's just go up to Jesus and just ask him. What an amazing time that will be. So we're building up to the second coming, which is Revelation 19. But before the second coming comes, God is cleaning house before he returns. So take us to our next point. Wrath of God has built up over thousands of years. Second Peter, uh, excuse me, First Peter three nine through ten. That verse says that God is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, patient towards us, willing not willing that any should perish. The longer Jesus waits for the return, the more chance there is for people to get saved. I got saved twenty four years ago, and when I first started learning about the rapture, I started saying, "Lord, come." Well, the longer He waits, anybody here that got saved. In the past 24 years, aren't you thankful God didn't answer my prayer right away? So I got saved in 93. So all of you that got saved before I did, and you started praying for the return of Christ, I'm glad he waited till I got saved. The longer he waits, the more people get saved. And so we're sitting here as Christians saying this is frustrating. We look at the world, we look at the political environment, and our blood starts boiling. We're like, Jesus, do something. And he says, I will. But the longer I wait, the more people get to come in. And so that's God's grace and mercy. And here, point number three, before we get going, God still gives the world chances to repent. You know, we just talked last week about the 144,000. In a couple chapters, we're going to get to the two witnesses. And we're going to also see angelic beings flying over the world, proclaiming the gospel. So in the midst of judgment, there's always grace. Don't forget that. And I tell you, these chapters tonight, Revelation 8 and 9, this is some tough stuff. It really is. And there's going to be grace. And that's what your Lord does. He loves you. And so with that being said, let's jump into this. Now, the way this kind of works in the Bible is this. We've had our seal judgments, and then we have our trumpet judgments, and then we have our bowl judgments. And what happens is the last seal judgment brings in the trumpet judgments. The last trumpet judgment brings in the bowl judgments. And so what we have here in Revelation 8 is the seal judgment that then brings in the trumpet judgments. And as you remember correctly over the last couple weeks, these judgments get more and more severe as we go into it. So Revelation 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, I think what's fascinating about this in verse 1 is silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, that's quite the verse. Especially when we just read in Revelation 4 and 5 that it sounds like in heaven there's non-stop praise and worship. Silence. Now, if you've ever been on the end of silence, you know how silence can be a weapon. You know how silence can be intimidating. I have learned as a parent, one of the best things I can do when my kids do something wrong, I've shared with you before, if you never want to be sent to my bed, that's not a good thing. So if one of the boys do something they shouldn't, I usually say, go, go sit on my bed, I'll be in there in a little bit. That silence, that waiting, is a time for the Holy Spirit to speak. It's a time for the Lord to move in their heart. That silence. All this has been going on. We've seen these seal judgments in chapter 6. Then all of a sudden, things go silent. And what a silence that is. The calm before the storm, if you will. And what's really going on in verses 3 through 6 is you see this idea of prayer. And this mentioned again. This idea of prayer being near incense. This idea of prayer being at the altar of incense. The smoke of it. It's an aroma that the Lord loves. Your prayers from a spiritual standpoint are like this incense that go up to heaven that God breathes in. Now it's really interesting if you go study out the temple in Exodus here. It talks about how the altar in Exodus 30... The altar for the prayer of incense was right by the Holy of Holies. It's as close as you could get. If you remember the setup of the altar, excuse me, the tabernacle or the temple, the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was, and there was this huge veil that separated you, so you couldn't get in there, you couldn't see it. It's where God's presence dwelled in the Old Testament. Right before that was the altar for the prayers where the incense was. And this is as close as you can get to the holiness of God. And what you see in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says in Hebrews that these things are a shadow of what's going on in heaven. So the tabernacle and the temple that we had down here on earth are really a picture of what goes on up in heaven. So up in heaven, when you pray, this is what you need to visualize. Verses 3 through 6, it's this idea of your prayers are an incense going up before the Lord. And now these prayers are going to be answered. What prayers are being answered? How often have we prayed, Lord, thy kingdom come. Well, for God's kingdom to come, judgment must happen. And God has now said, it's time. And so as it has now happened, as now come, look what happens to this in verse 5. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. Fire represents judgment in the Bible. Threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings. And note in verse 5, an earthquake. Keep that in the back of your mind, that there was an earthquake, one earthquake, and this now starts the trumpet judgments. Any quick questions, comments here, or the final seal judgment, or the symbolic picture of the altar of incense, and how that's a picture of our prayer? Yeah, Ellen. Took the censer, filled it with fire. Censer would be a metal container that they would have had back there that they could have scooped in and taken out the coals to go with. It's a word we don't usually use a lot anymore. Anybody else have anything before we go on? Alrighty, verse 7, first trumpet. 
The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with the blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So that's striking vegetation. As you go through these trumpet judgments, I want you to keep in mind the plagues of Egypt, that he used the plague of blood. He used the plague of hail mixed with fire. He used the plague of darkness. So when we go through this, imagine this. Hail, fire, mingled with blood, thrown to the earth. A third of the trees burned up. All the green grass was burned up. You've seen the wildfires out in California. Now imagine a third of the vegetation caught on fire like that. What what would cause this idea of this fire coming down, mingled with blood, and all this other type of stuff? Is this a natural disaster? You know, is this God's hand of judgment? Because in Exodus 9, this is what he did. He just sent it down. But if you go back to that word, an earthquake, some people believe there's going to be such an earthquake that is going to completely affect the entire earth that if this idea of this amazing earthquake that would literally change the geography of the earth, and next thing you know, you have volcanoes going off, you have rocks, I mean, you just have this destruction going on that this would be the side effect of something like that. Please remember, when God says an earthquake in verse 5, I'm thinking this is something pretty big. And if he wanted to do this, he can do this. And so therefore, he wants to make this huge event that actually causes the world to start falling apart. This is the end of the world, guys. This is God's judgment that's built up for 6,000 years. If he wants to do something supernatural and just have it come down, he's God. He's allowed to do that. He's proven that in the book of Exodus. If he wants to use the natural part of the world that he created, he's allowed to do that. The Bible says, why do the oceans have limits? Because God said, I will limit you, ocean. The Lord has used judgment of the world in the past. If you remember Korah's rebellion uh, back in, I believe it's in Exodus, there's a group that was rebelling against Moses, and this is what they did. They said, this is how we're going to decide who's right and who's wrong. You line up over there, we'll line up over here. And whoever God is against, he'll just have the earth open up and swallow them alive. And that's exactly what happened. This is what the Lord does. When Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake that opened the tombs, and the saints came out. So the Lord can use the natural world in supernatural ways because he's God over all of that. So what is causing this in verse 7? It could be so many different things. I've heard commentators even talk about nuclear war. The idea of fire literally raining down from the heavens. That the Lord uses mankind's own evilness as they go to war. So there's lots going on here. What's the next thing that happens? Verse 8, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So you have this huge, something like a great mountain coming down. Is that an asteroid? Is that something coming down? Remember, it says, like a great mountain. Please note the wording there in verse 8. It's like it. John is watching this vision, and he's trying to describe this. I mean, how would you describe a huge mountainous stone coming out and landing? Imagine it landing right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, taking out a third of the sea, taking out a third of the living creatures in the sea, taking out the ships through tidal waves and destruction along the ports. What an awful, awful thing. And if you, if you follow any type of astronomy, asteroids will stay together as they come down. That's what they will do, which is interesting because it takes us to verse 10. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. That word for star is a unique word in the Greek. It does not mean sun. It does not mean moon. It means something different. And note it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. This seems to disintegrate a little bit. 
That reminds me a little bit more of a meteorite that as it comes through the atmosphere, it disintegrates. I'm an astronomy guy. I love astronomy. The asteroids will stay together and the meteorites will disintegrate. And it says the name of the star is wormwood. Wormwood is an interesting plant. It's a shrub plant. It's toxic. It's poisonous. A third of the waters became wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So he strikes the sea. He strikes the fresh water. And note the destruction that's happening here. The seal judgments were overall on the earth. Trumpet judgments are becoming more detailed. And once we get to the bold judgments here in a few chapters, that's a whole step worse. So what we have here through the first three uh, trumpet judgments is you have a third of the vegetation struck, you have a third of the sea struck, and you have a third of the fresh water struck. And this is what's happening here. And you see this atmosphere turning against the earth. Because the earth is cursed in and of itself as well, too. Amazing things happen. Like I said, some people believe that this is all an effect from the earthquake. That this earthquake was so monumental that it's to completely change the earth. There's even some people who believe this earthquake is so monumental it changes the earth itself. And so therefore you literally have the earth blowing up, if you will. Striking itself, hitting itself here through the earthquake, through volcanoes, through all this type of stuff. Or is it purely uh, supernatural? The Lord's bringing it down. Is God using the cursed creation that's already cursed by sin and bringing this in? Everybody likes to talk about planets and asteroids coming towards the earth and destroying it. Well, when you start reading it here in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, some of the stuff seems to be happening and true. So any quick questions, comments here over the trumpet judgments here, specifically these events here? Yeah, John. Yes, I agree with you 100%. I've read that as well, too. And same thing for trees to burn up. Yeah. They're, they're, it, this has to be very intense. Yeah. Very intense. And, you know, once again, God doesn't do anything middle of the road. And so, therefore, if he's having fire come down, it's going to be a fire that's going to be destructive. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, Dad. Oh, why is everything a third? Because I, this is my opinion. Jesus said that unless God would relent in Matthew 24, the entire world would be destroyed. My personal opinion is the reason he's only doing a third, because if he would do total destruction or more than that, it'd be too all-encompassing. That's just my opinion, that he's actually holding back by just doing one-third of it. Now, some people will go into different opinions on that. Mine is, I think this is just the Lord saying, I'm letting it all not be destroyed. Because we're going to get to here in a little bit. The judgments are going to happen a little bit more with the bold judgments. And you're going to see some of this stuff be turned even more. If you want, just jump ahead real quick to Revelation 16. It gets worse. In Revelation 16, uh, take a look here at verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Uh, look at the third bowl. Then the third angel poured out his bowl in the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. See, it, it gets kicked up a notch. So I think he's relenting right now, holding back, and his grace and mercy, because in the bowl judgments, it's going to go to a whole other step. Yeah, John. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. It, it, it's grace. And, and you know, and the thing is, we always look at grace as, as, I think we look at grace as God just giving us candy. Grace is also God withholding what we deserve in some way. It's a gift of salvation and grace and mercy. God is holding back. The whole earth needs to be judged. And by him only doing a third, 
It's showing a glimpse of his power, but also telling the world, are you going to respond to this? When the bold judgment comes, it's all gone. And it's, it's just utter, total destruction. Utter, total destruction. All right, anything else about meteorites, asteroids? Yeah. Oh. How's this for an answer? Yes and no. Jump back to Revelation 6. Remind us of what it says there in verse 16. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand. Jump ahead real quick in Revelation uh, 9. Uh, take a look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, and they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. When I say it's yes and no, there's going to be an element that do understand that this is God. I, I don't think there's going to be atheists in the tribulation. The reason I say also possibly no, because the Antichrist does some type of deception and deceit, the Bible says, where he is able to fool the earth into trying to have them think differently. This is not God. This is this or that. So he is going to bring a deception on the earth to try to distract them off the truth. But Revelation is teaching us that the world is going to have to look up and see this is the hand of God. Yeah, Kathy. What's that? When the trumpets blow? Uh, I don't know. I think it's more of a heavenly sound. That's my opinion. I don't think it's something that's going to happen here on earth. I think what's giving us in Revelation 8 is more of a heavenly scene. That's why it starts out there. Because in verse 8, silence in heaven. Uh, the trumpets were given to the angels. I think these trumpets are going to be more of a heavenly sound. I think the only trumpet we're going to hear down here on earth is the trumpet for the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture. We won't. Yes, yes. Yes, thank you for getting technical. We won't be here. Yes. So now it's going to be like, well, I hear the trumpet or not. I don't know, but we're going. So, you know, that's, that's what it happens. Anybody else have anything? Yeah, Lynette. Yeah. We are in such a blessed state, you know, living here in Northwest Ohio. I mean, just the simplicity of life, fresh water, things like that. That so many other places in the world that's not. The openness to go represent Jesus Christ. We say this all the time. We are meeting here tonight freely and openly, talking about Jesus uh, in a heated, well-lit building. We're going to go home. We're going to have food. We're going to have water. We're going to have heat. We are extremely, extremely blessed. And really what you see happening here in the book of Revelation is the Lord showing how much blessed we are. And we take it for granted. I mean, we just, we just absolutely take it for granted. Um, it's just an amazing thing. That God's blessings on us. We should never, ever forget that. Anybody else have anything? I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. I like this little bit smaller crowd tonight so we can talk about this. I get contacted a lot about these funky things, uh, Planet X or whatever that is hiding. Have you guys seen that type of stuff? Um, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about or not, and that it's going to bring the end of the world and us all this other type of stuff. The last article someone sent me was this huge planet is hiding behind Saturn, 
And it's just waiting to come into play. And it's going to come so close to earth. It's going to destroy all this. And Christians get sucked into this. And they read Revelation. And they talk talking about asteroids and meteorites. And it couldn't be this or whatever. Just be careful with that type of stuff. Be careful with the whole fear-mongering. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a strength, power, and a sound mind. Be careful that you don't get sucked into those type of things. Those things have been around for years. I've been a pastor for 20 years, and for the last 20 years, people have told me that there's this planet. And I keep waiting for it, and it's not coming. So when someone told me now, the article I read said it's hiding behind Saturn, I thought, this is fascinating. I have a very large telescope at home. I'm into astronomy. I went and looked at Saturn. I didn't see the planet. I saw Saturn. I saw its rings. I saw its moons. But there's nothing else out there. If the Lord wants to miraculously do something, he can miraculously do something. But just don't get caught up in the fear-mongering. We've got to be careful about that. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a strength, power, and sound mind. And it just seems like every couple years, there's another fear thing that comes out in the body of Christ. A few years ago, it was the billboards that Jesus is returning in May. Uh, a couple years ago, it was the blood moons. And it's just like we're just, we jump on this fear bandwagon. We've got to be careful. This is scary stuff here in Revelation 8. There's no doubt about that. But God has also given this to us to have wisdom and understanding and knowledge and not walk around in fear. So I just want to throw that out there. John. Right. How do they justify it? You know, I, I've read some of the stuff and it, and it gives me a spiritual headache. Um, it, some of it is special revelation. You know, um, you know, the, well, Jesus, well, you know, I think there's some people that think they're higher than Jesus. Um, but, you know, special revelation or they've studied it out deeper and harder than other people. And they've found this system in the Bible. And, and you just don't see that type of stuff. You really just don't. And, and to be honest, it comes back to prophecy is really quite simple. Prophecy is this. According to the Old Testament, if you claim to be a prophet of God and you make a prophecy, if the prophecy doesn't happen, you're supposed to be stoned to death. It really limits false prophets. I don't want to bring back the law, but I'm okay with bringing back stoning for false prophets. I am, because that would really limit a lot of false prophecy if there was a consequence to this. Right now, there's no consequence. We just throw it out there. Jesus is returning. I've studied it out. This is what I've seen. It doesn't happen, and we just come back and readjust it, replan it, whatever. We've got to be careful about what we say. So to answer your question, the only thing I can tell you is sometimes they say they have a deeper revelation. I've seen other people say they've studied out the Bible in a different way. And I've also seen people that just are fascinated by it. And I think they spend so much time and energy studying it and connecting dots, they forget they're supposed to go out and be a light and a witness for Jesus Christ. Soul saved, that's what matters. Yeah. Nobody knows the day nor hour. Right. I... I don't think they would say they know more than him. I think they would say they have received special knowledge. That's what I, I, that's what I would think. Um, there's something coming up here. Oh, where's that at? Oh, I'm trying to remember where it's at here, where it talks about how no man knows what was said. And I can't find the verse right now. I'll have to look that up. But no man knows what was said here in the book of Revelation. And I had a guy come to me one time and said, I know what the Lord said. And he was having a Bible study in his house. And he said, if you want to come find out what the Lord said, come to my house and come to the Bible study. He wanted to announce it at church. That was a pretty easy thing to say no to. Because if the Bible says no man knows or understands and you're telling me you know and understand, 
there's a little bit of false teaching going on right there. We just got to be careful. Just remember this. Just take it back to the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, it's not true. And just let this be the foundation of what we believe. It's really that simple. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? All right. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. So that a third of them were darkened. Once again, remember the plagues of Egypt. Hailstones, blood, darkness. This is a lot of repetition here. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Note once again in verse 13, you have grace and mercy right there. You are being forewarned. The Bible uses the word woe a lot. It's not a word that we use a lot in our English language. Some of your Bibles actually translate it terror. It says terror, 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 because that's what the word is trying to signify. It's a terror. And note in the Bible, anytime you see repetition, note Jesus in the Gospels when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. He's really saying, pay attention. Or when he says the name twice, Martha, Martha. Right here, when you have three woes in a row, that's big. You don't see that a lot. But the only time you see three in a row is when God's describing his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. So when it says, woe, 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 This is going to get really bad. And when you get to Revelation 9, the fifth trumpet, it's rough. Verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Then they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past, behold, still two more wars are coming after these things. What an absolutely amazing visual here that we're looking at. And we need to break this one down a little bit. Okay, first off, you see a star fallen from heaven. You know, Jesus seems to make that pretty clear that this is Satan. He says this in Luke chapter 10. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Note that seems to be a picture of the enemy. Now, this is where you got to remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, sometimes the chronology of Revelation, it's not written in chronological order, it's written in more of a topical order. And this can create some type of confusion. Satan still has access up in heaven, and that's allowed by God. We know that for a fact, because in Revelation chapter 12, Satan is up there making accusations against the brethren. We know this from the book of Job, that he is up there doing this. There comes a time and a place where Satan is ultimately kicked out of heaven. That happens in Revelation chapter 12. And that's where things really get bad. So this idea of seeing a star falling from heaven to earth, this seems like God is giving the enemy access to do this. Please note this person is not all powerful, because it says there in verse 9, he had to get the key. Well, we already studied out earlier in the book of Revelation, who has the keys? Jesus does. 
So this is not some all-powerful, mighty being. Key has to be given to him. It shows God's power over him. Please note that this is something out of a bottomless pit. This is quite a fascinating study. That there seems to be demons that are free. We see that in the Gospels. We see that in the Bible. There's also demons that have been enchained, the Bible says too. And most commentators believe the ones that are enchained are the worst of the worst. And this talks about this. Book of Jude, verse 6, talks about demons that are chained up. Remember in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is casting out demons, the demon said, please don't send us to the abyss. It's not our time yet. So there seems to be some that are completely, utterly chained up. And these are the bad ones. And so what has happened here is now they are let loose. And for five months, it is torment. What do they look like? You can read the description. I just read the description. We can go a couple different ways on this. We can say, literally, that's what they look like. And if that's what they look like, that is a crazy-looking thing. Because if you look in verse 7, they look like a locust, but they have crowns, uh, face like a man, woman's hair, teeth like lion, breastplates of iron. They're loud, but tails like a scorpion. I'm not going to put anything past God. If that's what he wants them to look like, that's what they can look like. But please do note the word like is used eight times. This is John trying to describe something that's almost indescribable. Please remember when Paul went to the third heaven, the Bible says, when he died for a moment and before he came back, he says, it's a sin for me to even try to describe to you what I saw because it's beyond our words. You know, imagine given a vision like this and you see the abyss opened up by Satan and you see demons coming out, flying around, and then you're through the Holy Spirit as trying to describe this. I think John did a pretty good job through the Spirit right there. So if you want to sit here and say literal interpretation, that what they look like, I'm not going to argue with you. If that's what they look like, that's what they look like. If you want to sit here and say, oh, I see the word like used eight times, I think something symbolic is going on, I can go that route too. Because I do believe that with a lot of these things, it is symbolic of a lot of what's going on, what it looks like. I mean, they're teeth like iron. They, it's destruction. They bite. Why do they wear crowns? Because it's a sign of authority. They have a bit of authority for five months. Satan is the god of this world. You know, this idea of hair like woman's hair, verse 8... You know, maybe the enemy is trying to make himself look beautiful and gore. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism going on there, and I can go with that. Please know what they do. They're not allowed to attack those that have been sealed. So this seems to be an attack on the non-believers, and it's torment. Take a look especially at verse 5. And they were given, not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Just understand that Jesus, excuse me, that God, when he writes the Bible, is not bad with words. So if he wants to use the word torment three times in one verse, I think he's trying to make a point. This is awful. And please do note, this is so awful, they can't die. Verse 6. And those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. A lot of commentators believe that for five months, death gets a pass. Imagine wanting to die. Imagine being in such torment and pain that death is a release and part of your judgment is no death. That's a scary thought. You know, if you have a loved one who is suffering and you visit them in in hospice or on their deathbed and you know they're born again and you know they're saved, death is a victory. Death is a release. Death is a reward because now you have your heavenly body. 
If you're not saved and you're being tormented and you want death to end it, God's grace and mercy is maybe I'm not going to let you die. God's judgment, maybe I'm not going to let you die. You can go two ways on that. But imagine for five months this torment happening. Imagine this demonic force being released for five months. And and it's just torment. It's an unbelievable thing. This is the judgment that is happening upon the earth. Who is their leader? Well, their leader in verse 11 is Abaddon or Apollyon, whose name means destruction, destroyer. Some people believe this is just a high-ranking demon. Some people believe it's Satan himself. I lean towards Satan himself, hence the star fallen from heaven. I also believe in John 10.10, Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, kill, and to what? Destroy. Jesus said Satan's motive is to destroy. This guy's name is destroyer, destruction. It sure seems to line up with other scriptures in the Bible as well, too. But here you have your uh, fifth trumpet as this demonic force being released to torment men for five months. Now, before we think this sounds really crazy and weird, you got to remember, guys, this is the end of the world. The rapture's already happened. Hopefully a billion people have gone. Antichrist, there's a man empowered by Satan trying to rule the world. Satan and God are battling here for the earth, and it's going to end up in the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19. It's really not that weird to think that there's a demonic army being released from an abyss to torment men for five months. It's hard for us to imagine this now, because we're going to go home, flip on the TV, have a bag of popcorn, and go to bed. But when this starts falling apart, demons being released and flying around is really not going to seem that strange. It's really not. So, yeah, Mark. I think they're going to be visible by people. That's my opinion on that one. Because look at the description given. Um, I think it's going to be a demonic army that comes out. And, and if it is a judgment thing, I forgot to mention verse 2, the idea of the smoke of the great furnace. Uh, they have used that analogy many times in the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah was described at their judgment as smoke in a great furnace. When God gave the law in Exodus 19, the mountain was described as smoke in a great furnace. I, I believe this is going to be a visible uh, demonic army. That's my opinion. John. Right. Two opinions on that. Some people believe that means only the 144,000 are protected because it says in Revelation 7 they are sealed. Some people say, well, actually, if you go back and read the epistles of Paul, anybody who has been saved has been sealed by God. These are people that would have been saved after the rapture happened. Yeah. Kathy. Yes, helicopter and tanks. Yes. Yeah, because if yeah, take a look at verse nine. Breastplates like breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was the sound of chariots. Uh, their torment was in their tails. Weaponry. Yep, I've heard that before too. That John is trying to describe future weaponry two thousand years in the past. That's quite possible. I think there's too many other references, though, to literal demonic forces that are being held in chains and being released, like I said, in Jude and Peter, etc. Some people say, well, the demonic forces are released and they come influence military forces then. That's what's happening. And you know what? We can go with that route, too. I do think when I look at this, this seems to be more of a demonic entity rather than John trying to describe future technology. But once again, that's just my opinion. I'm, I'm 
Right. We get that idea from, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We get that idea from the man and the uh, graveyard that they wanted to go into the pigs. And so there's been an idea that demonic influences like to inhabit things. That's what they like to inhabit. That is an idea. The Bible does not come out and say directly about that because we see in the book of Daniel that demonic forces were hovering over the countries as well too. Those didn't seem to need to have an actual physical bodily form. So you can make a case either way, but there is not a passage in the Bible that says that demons have to inhabit something. They seem to also have a little bit of free reign. And just to blow everybody's mind real quick, you can't find a verse in the Bible that also says fallen angels are demons. We, we assume fallen angels are demons, and you can make a pretty good spiritual case, but there's actually not a literal verse that says that when Satan took a third of the angels with them, that those third of the angels were demons. I just make sure, biblically speaking, we throw that out there as well, too. Ellen. Yeah. Yes, May to September is generally. Um, there are some people believe that these are actual just demonic locusts. God can do that. Um, what's that? He did it with the pigs. Um, I mean, like I said, I don't want to put God in a box. I really don't. These could be literal locusts that are demonically influenced. The problem is if they're a literal locust, and I've heard that too, the May-September five-month light cycle, locusts don't sting like scorpions. So these would have to be a souped-up steroid locust or something like that. Um, like I said, when I see this, and this is just my opinion, and I always tell my opinion, I say it one more time, my opinion, I think to take all the verses about the, the demons being chained up, the abyss, um, this idea of a leader of destruction, Satan falling, the key being opened. I, I, just, I think the Bible just keeps going back to a literal demonic army. That, that's what I think it's leaning towards. I have read very intelligent men that do believe they're trying to describe future technology. And I did read a commentary that does, do believe that these could be just uh, demonic locusts. I, I, I think it's more something a little more demonic. I mean, this is literally, and I, when I say this, I'm not making this a crass statement. It's, it's becoming hell on earth. I mean, that's really what it is. This is what mankind has wanted. We, we chose to rebel in the Garden of Eden, and then when given another opportunity, we chose Barabbas at uh, resurrection at Easter. This is what mankind has chosen for thousands of years. Anybody else have anything here before we get going? All right, well, we're not going to be able to finish up chapter 9. We're going to miss the 200 million man army. So we will have to get that one next week. Um, yeah, we're not going to have enough time here, five minutes, to try to do the sixth trumpet. So I was going to try to sneak that in real quick, and I don't want to do that. So we will have to get that next week. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything? Yeah, Jamie. Revelation 3.3. Revelation 3, 3. Oh, about the thief coming upon an hour, which I would not, you would not know. Thank you. Revelation 3, 3. And Jesus also, I think, makes a mention of that in the Gospels as well, too, there. But yeah, Revelation 3, 3. Thank you for that very much. Matthew 24 is, I think, where Jesus says it in the Gospels as well, too. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? All right, hey, safety as you travel home. Thanks for coming out on a snowy night. And please remember, it's really easy when we do a study like this to get focused on all the gory details. It's not about the gory details. God is giving us a glimpse into what the future holds to change how we act in the present. 
So since we know what's happening in Revelation 8 and 9, this should spur us on and our own personal walks in relationship with Christ, because I don't want to go through this. And number two, this should spur me on as an evangelist to stop and say, I don't want my loved ones to go through this. There's a reason why these chapters are in here. We're not trying to use fear-mongering, as we talked about earlier, but the truth is, this is the reality of what's going to happen. And this is some scary stuff when you look at it from a non-believing standpoint. When we as believers look at it, we see God's grace, mercy, and love, and we see also, hopefully, a fire under us to say, I want to go out and be a light and a witness and all I say and do. So, hope that settles in with you as well, too. Hey, let's stand here and pray before we let you go. Lord, we just want to pray what we just said. That this would be eye-opening to us. This would be, uh, Lord, that this would light a fire under us to go be a light and a witness and always say and do. And, and Lord, when we go speak to the non-believers, that we can say this is the reality of what is coming. And thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we pray for safety as we travel home, out there in the weather. And do help us be lights and witnesses and always say and do in your name. Amen. Hey, have a blessed evening. Thanks for coming out. And we'll see you guys next week.